Broadcasting from occupied territories, war the flea media, it's the Reality Dysfunction Podcast. A space where a diverse group of brown folk from across the nation explore the political experiences and social future of our Chicano Latino community. Control the narrative, resist the dysfunction. Hello again, and thanks for tuning into the Reality Dysfunction. My name is the Dr. Ernesto Morales, and I'm very happy to be back with all of you and the dysfunctional crew. We took a bit of a break, which honestly was mostly me, but I'm ready to get back out there. Today, we are talking about the Biden administration's complete and utter failure to have an original thought when it comes to immigration and what that means for the Chicana OX community in terms of our responsibility to force those changes. But first, let's hear who's here. Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Carolina Sanchez, no longer in the Inland Empire, but in beautiful Santa Barbara, California, in the historic building of El Centro on the UCSB campus. Reiner Delgado, I'm in uh, Lansing, Michigan. Carlos Hernandez in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Dan Sosa in Saginaw, Michigan, in my infamous bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. TMI. All right. Let's see. <laughs> All right. I mean, who, who wants to say it first? What a fucking putz Joe Biden is. Oh, wait a minute. I just said it. Does somebody else want to say it? Ditto. Been real shady. I love um, Biden and I love Harris. Just don't come. You know, I mean, uh, that was a great one. Uh, yeah. If only we could take that that slogan back 500 years, right? Yeah, yeah right. I mean, I think that's where it all kind of started for, well, uh, yeah, that's where I can remember feeling like, here we go, man. It's the same old Democrat BS. And it also made me think about that, that constant, um, that constant game that we get played on. By now, it's, it's not even like we should be shocked. If they're playing that game on us, it's because we're letting that game get played on us about, you know, Harris is supposed to be a a woman of color. She gets to say stupid crap like just don't come and basically perpetuate the same policies that Trump was doing, that Obama was doing before. It's the same old game, but what what I think, well, that's a good question. What, what, what can you do? Right. I, I think there's some things we can do. I think that what's really interesting is that the last president that we had that had any sort of a progressive leaning in uh, immigration was George Bush. <laughs> I mean, what, yeah. what the, the second fuck, one man? you mean, right? Yeah, I mean the second Bush one, two, right? Yeah, yeah, George. Yeah, George Bush too. You know, I mean, there was. Uh, I mean, I remember around that time, you know, that there was a lot of talk in the immigration movement that he was going to to do an amnesty, and yeah. you know, then all that stuff went down with uh, the World Trade Center, and I mean, you know. Then it was perpetual war and 20 years in Afghanistan. And it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. I'm just going to say just for historical, just real quick. And because I, I'm not, I mean, I, I, I'm not obviously for the Republicans. They're disgusting. They're just, we all know that. But it has to be acknowledged just as a matter of history that you had Reagan, who was a horrible man, but he did give the amnesty. Then you had Papa Bush. He kind of had a, a more humane attitude towards immigration, right? And you had when you had Clinton, though, Clinton uh, was the one that, that gave us one of the worst immigrations 
uh, reform bills and stuff like that. I mean, he was the one that did that whole operation, hold your line and all that stuff, a Democrat, right? That was under Clinton. Then when he had Bush, baby Bush, he, you know, Mireles, you're right. He was beginning to get, you know, like move towards working with uh, with uh, Vicente Fox and all of that to try to get some kind of amnesty or get a much more progressive look at it. Then you come in with Obama. We know what happened there. I mean, the more deportations that have ever been done. So, you know, it comes down to that difference. Uh, and again, I'm not, I would never take a pro-Republican stance. I'm not pro-Democrat or pro-Republican. But the historical record's a historical record, man. It is what it is. And so these Democrats, they always talk real pretty, but then they always end up hurting us. And it's weird that, that uh, Reagan and, uh, and actually Bush were the ones that kind of looked like something might get done. Last week, I went to D.C. with the We Are Home group, you know, and they're kind of organizing nationwide for immigration reform along with a few other organizations. There was uh, uh, like 51 people who shaved their heads, you know, representing the 51 votes needed for a pathway to citizenship. And there's a few other actions um, that week and people from all over the country came. And, you know, we met with some Senator staff and stuff while we were there. And, you know, I guess what really struck me is that, you know, it's really the progressives and pro-immigration folks who won the election for Biden, right? They're the ones that give people who register to vote, who get people out to vote. And they're all pro-immigration reform, right? It, it, I mean, in some format, I mean, right now, you know, you you kind of started off talking about how, you know, continuing policies, and that's really all it's been, right? Continuing policies, because there hasn't been any legislation to reform the system. I don't know, I, it brings us, me back to a question that we kind of, talk about a lot it seems like on this show at what point do we just say fuck the democrats what's the point what's the point in voting for them and in, in getting people out to vote for them if they can't get shit done i mean they just can't get anything done that people who support them want them to do yeah that's true and especially like a lot of the movement dan as you were saying is like surrounded against like Trump's anti-immigrant campaigns like that was one of the big things that everyone was like let's push up against this because this isn't right and then you have like folks like you know ICE shooting at Haitian refugees coming across the border seeking help seeking amnesty and like it's ridiculous especially with like right not only Latinx Latinx like mestizo folks but also like Latinx people of color and like Latin American people of color in general like those are the people that are going to be most affected like the indigenous communities coming from uh, Guatemala El Salvador right and then like the black communities coming from Haiti and all these other places coming together it's like this intersection of a lot of promises that were like we're not racist like Black Lives Matter and then you're going to go and shoot people on the border or tell people not to come. I mean, it's just, uh Yeah. You, I mean, it's the you... same thing as, like, Melania's jacket that was, like, I don't care or whatever. Like, it's that same mentality said differently. And I guess it's because it's a woman of color that's a fucking cop and pig. It's okay. Yeah. You know, the resounding answer we got from speaking to some of the staff of the centers and everything, it's that you've got these two senators that are holding everything up, Right cinema and mansion 
So Manchin's kind of been what he's been. You know, he's been this like basically Republican who runs as a Democrat, right? But cinema is kind of interesting. I'm, and you know, that's one of your senators, Todd, right? Kristen Cinema. She's, she's not interesting at all, man. I mean, she's no, but a but complete she ran. whack job. No, but she ran on pro-immigration. Yeah, well, she's a she fucking liar, that. dude. That's why. Oh, I mean, but I mean, yeah, you know, like I'm just kind of in contrast to you know to the two of them. One of them ran on pro-immigration and is <laughs> and is doing nothing to support it when when she has a lot of power to at Mansion. I mean, you kind of expected it from right. I'm just saying that that's what the answer we got. It's like we can't do anything about Mansion and Cinema holding up everything they're trying to do. You know, over the the course of our 60-some, 70-some podcasts that that we've all done together, we've done a lot of podcasts together. I mean, you know, the the thing is, is that, you know, we've had this ongoing conversation about political power within within the Chicano community, right? And how, you know, we have a very hard time articulating that. But the the thing is, is that Joe Biden is not acting out of um, the ordinary for a president of the United States. Right. I mean, he is he is the president. He is up sworn to uphold the integrity of a nation that is built on and has enriched itself on the lives of uh, African slaves and indigenous people, the dispossession and genocide of indigenous people from their lands all throughout the Americas, right? And it's not just here in what we call the United States because the United States has stated, has said very clearly that it controls this entire hemisphere, right? So, I mean, it, it's not shocking that that he acts this way. It's not shocking that Donald Trump acted this way. It's not shocking that Barack Obama acted this way. Right. I mean, the, the, the thing that's shocking and it goes back to what Carlos, I think, was saying earlier was that was that we don't have a, 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 a widespread critique of this. Right. Those of us who critique that as a way of maintaining white supremacy. I mean, we we love challenging people about their personal privilege. Right. Like we'll do that. all People will do that all day long. They'll be like, shut up, white boy. You know, like, what can you tell me? But, you know, you try to talk about the privilege of settler colonialism in the sense of manifest destiny and the fact that, you know, that we have to challenge the system. And people are like, what are you talking about? What, what are you talking about? We can't do that. Well, if we do that, what if the Republicans win? Hey, newsflash, they fucking already did. And they're going to keep winning. And if you think voting for Democrats means that the Republicans aren't winning, bro, you need to take your head out of your butt and really get some air to your brain. So, like, and like even look at like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, right? Like she was like, "I'm this progressive like lookout, and I'm going to run for the Democrat Party." But she's still in the system of the Democrat Party, still perpetuating all of like the bad things. Like she didn't vote against the big like funding war bill, and she was like, "We can't be in you know Iraq." in the Middle East and have like all our military forces. And it's like, okay, then vote against it. And then if you can't vote against it, at least like speak out on, speak out on it. Don't try to just like hide it under the rug. Yeah. And just like, it's not even just immigration. Like look at how far we are in the year already. And we've gone backwards on so many things. We've gone backwards on women's, you know, 
quote-unquote women's issues and just like it's the same like it's really nothing has changed nothing has changed and we're in freaking October yeah it can't change because if, if things change then the Democrats lose their edge you know on an issue you know they all the claims and all the promises that they make disappear and what are they going to run on at least right now they have those things they they can make those promises to us and you know that's i think you know we're talking about it's no surprise that what has happened are we expecting any different you know that's the real issue for me is anything different going to happen next year 2024 i mean it seems like we're kind of these eternal optimists when it comes to this kind of stuff right like to answer your question uh francisco it's like yeah we we always have like that hope (laughs) that belief that that it's going to get better with the next election or something and i don't know i i mean i can't look somebody in the face and tell them tell them that anymore i mean how do you tell them that how do you tell them that hey vote for this guy <clears throat> things are gonna get better i don't know i don't know how to do it anymore right look how many people became citizens in the hope in the dream that their participation was going to make a difference yeah and here we are i think that's a different like generational thing though you know because like i feel like for my generation and at least being back on campus and like being back in this environment again, it's like, you know, what is the point of everything? It's very much of like, I don't know what it's called, but like, like, you know, you're just so you're disenfranchised. Yeah. And like desensitized to all these promises and all of the things. And so you kind of have like a continuous, uh, yes, realism, but like a continuous, like negative outlook because nothing has ever gone right. We can say, Carolina, how many of your friends or people you know outside of maybe like people who are close to you and like have the same like drive as you like actually vote? Because for me, it's like it's very me, little. Two people, and then like the friends that I can just if I nag enough, they'll come yeah. Out. Like they just don't believe in the system, and so they don't participate in it. And it's like I understand it. I definitely understand not participating in the system, but also. It's the system that we have for now. Like, if you're not doing anything, then you're not doing anything. You know, it's not this like noble, like, I'm not going to vote. It's this like, you're just going to let it continue happening to you. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of sad because you want people to have optimism and drive because then that's what's going to force change, right? Like, it's the stages of grief. You have to be angry and frustrated, but you also have to move like up move on from that to actually be productive and to like go forward and it's crazy because like we always talk about like so then we can say like f both parties and then we could burn shit now but we're then we're being like not patriotic but it's okay when when caucasian americans do it like they're defending liberty we're not patriotic well, part of the part of the problem with that is not there's nothing there's not a problem with what you just said. I totally agree with what you just said. The problem on and on our part in our community is that we we have been led to believe through centuries of subjugation that this is our nation. This this is not our nation. We are occupied communities 
living in a settler colonial nation, right? Yeah. So for us to say that we're being patriotic, we're being we're being patriotic to our colonizer. We're being patriotic to, to our oppressor. I mean, there's even, even for those who have on some level, um, you know, accepted that line, there are moments. And, and I know, you know, you all know these people, there are moments when their mind is unguarded and they realize how goddamn stupid that is. Right. And they, they, they'll only let it happen for a second. But you can put a couple of beers in them and, you know, then you can have a conversation. The question, I think, for us as a community, right, is who does our allegiance go to? Who are we patriotic to? And how can, how can that be? Because clearly we see the United States. The United States is a nation and is a nation that's built for white people, right? You look back on January 6th, if, if that's not obvious, then, then what is, right? The people that stormed the Capitol on January 6th, they are not anomalous in, in the, the history of the United States, right? I mean, they, they are the, the ideological foundation of this country, you know? And so that begs the question, who are we patriotic to? Who deserves our allegiance? And these are questions I think that we have to ask ourselves. But I will say this, I agree with you, both you sisters. Non-participation is not an option. We right. we cannot afford as a community not to participate. And I'm not just I'm not talking about electoral politics, right? There are lots of ways to participate in in making the world a better place. And just checking out is not one of them. Yeah, like the French say, if you don't do politics, politics will do you. And I, was always I thought you were going to say, give me liberty, give me death. And I was like, <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> and I always tell people when I'm out canvassing, because I do that, like I participate like every every year, like then leave something blank if that's something you don't want to vote for. Like that's, that's data, like that's a statistic. Like this many people voted, but only this many people voted for president. Like this many people voted, but only this many people voted for sheriff. Like that's saying something. That is count, that counts. I, I, see, I think... I think all of that is is baked into the system, honestly. I think it's encouraged. I think, I mean, as much as they're going to complain and moan and groan that, you know, only uh, X amount of people came out and voted, you know, it's always a small percentage. I think they moan and groan, but I think that they're, they're okay with that. They would prefer to have it that way. That's, that's well, a lot better. Isn't, yeah. isn't that, is, doesn't that go right to the heart of like the Federalists and Anti-Federalists where they were you know, one side wanted to basically keep a suppressed vote. I mean, that's, it's like you said, it's part of the system. I also think going back to what Ernesto said, it's like, who, who are we going to be patriotic to? Right. But like, also who are we as a community? Like we don't have a shared identity. Really. We don't have a collective thought of like, this is, you know, us the same way that Asian Americans do African Americans do, you know, like I think because there's so many of us and because the Latinx community in and of itself is very diverse um, and also in and of itself is like based upon white supremacy and racism and anti-blackness, right? Like, I feel like we get stuck there. And so rather than, I think in my opinion, at least, rather than going like this big scale of being like, who are we, who are we going to be as like a nation of Latinx folks? 
It is who are we going to be as this community building folks, right? Like how do we look within our own communities, but also within our own like groups and circles, like then, you know, it's like, so there's this game that's like a team building game is rock, paper, scissors. But what you do is like, when you lose, you have to like back the person that you beat or that beat you and then just keep moving on. And so these groups get bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, I feel like that's the same thing that I'm thinking of, of like, right. Like not even if you just lose, but like, if you have a small community that keeps growing and growing and supporting each other, even though you have differences and even though you have conflict, like that's how you benefit more people. And we have to look small before we can look big. I think what you just hit on right there is, is the source of a lot of our problems, that lack of common identity. Um, I mean, we're not, we're not monolithic, right? I mean, we are diverse in our backgrounds, you know, in a lot of ways, but we don't have that common identity that pulls us together to, to really get past um, a lot of these issues. And, and, that identity of a colonized people should be the identity that we coalesce around, that we rally around. Um, that one thing, we are a colonized people. And I wish you could get every, give everybody a couple beers, I guess, so they can think about it and, and you know, have an honest conversation about it. But I mean, if you just say that to some people, it's just, you know, yeah, you're being unpatriotic. You're not being an American. You're, you're too radical or whatever. But some people were the colonizers, even within the Latinx community, right? Like, so we can't even have the idea of like, we are a colonized group because some folks were the colonizers and the enslavers. And yeah, know, like, even then you, it gets, I, I don't know. I see, like, I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, like, I think, first of all, the very premise of trying to have build a common identity strictly on this idea of like Latino is is inevitably going to be kind of problematic. I think yeah, I think there's I much more of a co- I think there's much more of a common identity let's say within the Chicano Mexicano community. I think there's much more of a common identity with the Puerto Rican or Boricua com- community. I think if you're going to try to build a common identity with every single Latino quote unquote Latino group that's out there, well you're going to have a lot of problems because Puerto Ricanos and Chicanos have a different experience than Cubanos that were exiled from the Castro, you know, from uh, from Cuba, revolutionary Cuba, and Venezolanos. Allende and Pinochet were both Latinos, <laughs> but uh, they were I different. Agree. You know, so I think you're going to have a problem with that right off the bat. Trying to base it upon that is kind of like it's 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 different. But I do I agree, think that there there's have that common identity amongst Mexicano, Chicano, or, you know, I, I think it's much more. I think, I think it's much more. I think, I think, first of all, I don't think that, I think it's a myth that there is ever such a thing as a completely unifying common identity. Like I, that's, that's like too high a bar, even within revolutionary movements, even within people that built, you know, freed themselves from colonialism. When you look down and you get into the details of it, there was always splits, divisions, um, ways in which they debated where the identity should go, you know, that that's, that's inevitable. But I do, I do think that within, let's just, let's just take the Chicano community, the Chicano, yeah, there's, there's these divisions and there's stuff like that, but there's, there's a stronger sense of identity. I think there's a stronger sense of a common identity 
of being linked up to to a territory, linked up to a land, maybe not to the degree that some of us have it or have kind of crystallized it for ourselves, but I I think there is. I, I think I think and and I also think that that we have to be real careful and not kind of perpetuating the the tactics that are used against us, because one thing that happens, I mean, and you can see it is there is also because they know the strong if the identity coalesces and the identify the identity uh uh kind of cements itself that's a huge threat so if you notice they're always attacking our identity they're always trying to undermine and chicano chicana mexican chicanx latinx hispanic spanish surname blah 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 they'll go and they'll like like take a minor fault line and exacerbated into a huge fault line. I mean, it just it's just constant warfare on the identity because they know that once a people, especially a colonized people, finally uh, kind of solidify their identity. I mean that that and they're not in control of that identity. They haven't they haven't like defined it for them. The colonizer is no longer being the one that gets to define. Uh, their project is 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 weakened. So. It's the, so much those more. have to be oh go ahead Cecilia sorry Dante, it's so much more than just that like like racial or ethnic identity though because like like Carolina it's like the overall arching like experience it is more of like a political identity for those of us who have experienced and recognize this experience but let me tell you my abuelita she loves America you won't find me you won't find a flag at my house like there was a magnet on my door ripped that d off the moment you know i signed the paperwork on this house like there there are you know different experiences and it, it, it is broader than that it's 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 you know it's more yes the part that we have a hard time really wrapping our minds around as as chicanos chicanas chicanx uh latinos in the United States is that what, what we're talking about is a political identity, right? Because we can only, we, the, we have capacity to think of ourselves as Republicans and Democrats, you know? So like the work that we're doing with the Rasu Anita party right now, sure. It's a small group of people. There's, there's no question about that, right? We're not the Republican party. We're not the democratic party, but it's a group of people who are committed to having a discussion about the political identity of the Chicano community. Now, what's really, I think, important about that is that that group of people doesn't expect that everyone is going to agree with them, right? And it's, and it's not ever going to happen. There, there are many of us who are so invested in the perpetuation of this system that there's no way that they can go against it, right? They'll lose their homes, they'll lose their families, they'll lose their social standing in the community. I mean, it's a it's a heavy price to pay for those types of things. But having the, the conversation, the conversation must exist. That's the reason why, I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I asked all of you to join me on this podcast. And it really is because we have to have this conversation. It doesn't matter if there are thousands of people listening to it, right? We we have to have a conversation where we're telling people this is, you know, culture is fine. History is fine, right? And we need to know those things and we need to really understand them. But we need to understand them in the context uh, at, in the context of how it pertains 
to our political responsibility to our community right now. I mean, I personally think that is the conversation. I don't think that there's a conversation, a public conversation for Chicanas, Chicanos, Chicanx, or even Latinos in general that supersedes that. Just a quick comment. So it comes down to that. We're really not the sleeping giant. We're the confused giant. <laughs> that's that's a good one. We're the okey-doked giant. We're still reeling from the punch, man. But we're trying to get our feet back under us. We're doing that rope-a-dope thing. Woo. Yeah, well, what I was going to say is, like, great. The first step in that is education and, like, teaching ourselves. Like, I'm taking my first ever, like, Chicano history course today or this quarter. And like, right, really cool, really fun. But also like some of it is stuff that, or most of it, I should say, is stuff I already know because I grew up learning Chicano history as my history. And so, and a lot of other folks, especially like first-gen low-income folks that are here at UCSB, like they don't have that same education and they have a lot of like pushback against even the idea of like being Chicano because they see it as like an anti-immigrant stance because they've been taught that from the beginning that, you know, like Cesar Chavez, like the Chicano movement was anti-immigrant rather than seeing it as like a labor movement, which I think is really funny because well, it's all also, of them are like supporting labor union movements now. And I'm like, it's also not true. It's just, yeah. it's just not true. It, it, that is, that is absolutely an example of uh, the, what Carlos was talking about earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's false propaganda. You know, yeah. and so, yeah, anyways, I'm sorry. No, yeah, I agree. And so, like, doing this stuff with the Raza, you need the party that have the, like, book thing, book club. And then just, like, right, kind of me as a person on this campus being, like, yeah, you know, like, basically, like, fuck what y'all said and fuck what y'all said about my identity. Now that I am more secure in myself as a person, as a person of, you know, like, Chicanx origin, like, and has grown up with that mentality. Now I'm like, you know, my first year I would have been like, nah, like, you know, I'm Latinx, I'm Latina, I'm Mexican American. But now I'm like, no, like I'm Chicana because I have had a different experience and I have been raised differently than a lot of folks. One, because my parents immigrated here, right? I am a second gen college student, but also second generation being American, you know, plus more. It's, it's the idea and the mentality that I have. And we have a lot of political similarities, but because they have like, they're caught up on this name, this idea, we can't go any farther. And I think education plays a big part in that. What's the last word? Do any Mexicans want the last word? I find that. <laughs> Are you guys kidding me? <laughs> well, I'll say something. I don't know if I want the last word, but I'll say, look, I, I think that people listening in or people going to listen to this or just people out there, you know, don't ignore what your instinct and your gut's telling you. And your gut is probably telling you and your instinct is telling you that the Democrats aren't worth a shit. The Republicans aren't worth a shit. And so what are we going to do about it? Stop ignoring what the whole world and what everything is obviously telling you, which is the, they're in it together. Like Corky Gonzalez said, it's a two-headed monster that feeds off the same trough. So the next question is, what are we going to do about it? This is the reality dysfunction.